everybody. This is Keach Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast, and I have a very special guest with me today, a guy that I have known for since the mid-90s, Rob Hayjakis. How's it going? It's going great, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with you, so I'm a happy guy. Oh, man, thanks for that. Um, so for those who don't know, um, Rob Hayjakis is a fiddle player, and not only a fiddle player, he's the fiddle player, because, I mean, if you go on his discography and you read down... Uh, it almost reads like Paul Limes in the way that this is like album after album after album after album. And then it's, then when you get into like the mid, the early 90s, the late 80s and early 90s, all the way through the 90s, it's just like slam packed with everybody. And I've made a little short list here, just a short list of uh, some of the people that you've played with. Brooks and Dunn, Lone Star, George Strait, George Jones, Alabama, Conway Twitty, Earl Thomas Conley, Garth Brooks. Oh my God! I mean, it's just like all the all the big dudes, Alan Jackson, you know. All these people were taking kickback from me. They were. They, I had to give <laughs> you, them some of the money back. You had to pay them back. Yeah, yeah that's what it was. <laughs> so yeah. So Rob is. I mean, he is the quintessential fiddle player of the '90s, in my opinion. I mean, because you know there was Charlie Daniels. Was you would kind of think of him as like the '70s fiddle player or whatever. And then in the '90s, in the late '80s and '90s, you somehow dominated the whole fiddle you know session industry it seemed like it was i i had you know norrell wilson the great norrell wilson uh used me on my first master session like when i I was i was touring uh with a lady named margo smith and i had started tiptoeing in just a little bit with somebody's custom record or something here and there and i thought you know i kind of like this studio thing but i don't know if i'm good enough I don't know if I'm the guy for this and and uh he used me he liked me and uh liked my style because it was a little bit like Tommy Jackson who had played fiddle for Ray Price and and I think one of the things you say is you weren't sure if you were the right guys this is a fretless instrument so you know like playing live that could be one thing you know it kind of sounds cool and all that but when you're in the studio with a microphone right there on you it's very crucial that the t- tuning be perfect. Yeah, know? it's, uh, I mean, you know, it It definitely, <laughs> it would definitely give you a fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it was. Puck, the pucker factor is oh way Oh my gosh, yes. Because, you, you know, you were always, I always felt like I was trying, I had to take the sum of what I was hearing in the phones. Like I couldn't just necessarily just put my finger down and assume that it's going to be, you, right. you kind of had to take the sum of what you were hearing because, there's frequencies and there's there's uh, overtones and stuff that can deceive you, and you can be rubbing against something and need to alter something just a little tiny bit, change right. your vibrato or whatever to make a phrase work or something. So wow. yeah, it was kind of always trying to noodle it in there and make sure it was yeah. right. But you know, well they must have liked what you did because I mean, well I was really <laughs> I you know like like I said, Noro, uh, my first session, my first master session was uh, at old CBS with the terrific Lou Bradley Engineering, who's legendary, you know, right. did every record in the world for years. And uh, the the people that were on the session were Larry London, Henry Sterlecki, Ray Eddington, uh, Reggie Young, and John Huey. Anybody good? Anybody? Uh, they were all slugs. <laughs> they were all on the, down, on the downside. You know, oh they, were, they were down slope. But, you know, I, I, uh, I wasn't smart enough to be as nervous as I should have been. Okay, right. I was nervous, <laughs> but I was like, you know, I, I think I can do this, you know, and, and uh, I, you know, the guys treated me, they did not treat me like a novice. They yeah. didn't treat me like a, the guy, the kid that just pulled into town, you know. They yeah. treated me with so much kindness and respect, you know. 
It That's was awesome. Nice. Made yeah. it easier. Yeah, definitely. And uh, now, was Larry London, the drummer, was, did he live in Nashville, I think? Yes. Because I know there's a lot of country sessions in the 80s that he played on before he passed away. Right, yeah. No, he was he was a big deal, man. I mean, he was, he was when I started breaking in, uh, every now and then I'd get to play on sessions with Larry. And Larry yeah. was, uh, I mean, no one had anything but the most incredible things to say about Larry. You yeah. Know, he now, was back in terrific. those days... Did you, was that a, a, you know, like we say the tracking date right? when you would pull in somebody like a percussionist or a fiddle player, steel player, something like that, you, which could have been overdubbed, could have been easily sure. just like punched in at a later date um, because some of the studios were kind of small, you know, and you could right. only fit so many guys in there. Were you a part of like the, the tracking date or were you more of an overdub? Um, I'm, I'm talking about back in the day, back when you first started. When I first started, when I first started, I probably did more overdubbing. I would guess, if mm -hmm. I can remember correctly, because you know I was new, and so I think if you're going to take a chance, especially on an instrument like fiddle, there again, like yeah. you underlining the the, the uh, fretless situation and everything, yeah. you know, I, I think I did more of that. And then as, as time went on and I proved myself, then I started getting more tracking dates, and, yeah. which was nice because it, it gave me an opportunity to have a say right. in maybe the way things went as far as the which, which way we were going with it. Instead yeah. of, instead of, but I remember in the early days, it would be like when I was working, when I first started working for Blake Mevis, um, uh, I, did, I did live dates with him for him. But uh, in the studio, but I would also I would show up for an overdub, a couple of overdub sessions, a ten and a two or something. And he would, and he had Fred Newell, who was just this, is this awesome guitar player that I always say he bends notes and he moves more parts than Napa does. He's just <laughs> bending strings and stuff. And he would do these solos, you know, or some lick, some some hook lick in the chorus or something. And Blake would go, "Hey, I, I want you to double Fred right there," and and, and I can remember. Not just with him, but with other producers and stuff, that became a, a something that showed up, came up in my life often. And there were times where I might—I didn't mean to be irritable, but I'd go, "Hey, can I can I show up sometime?" And then you have somebody double me, can I'm, I, you know, so I don't have to double somebody all the time. Because right. <laughs> I mean, it was really it was really tedious because Fred was is just a really great at bending strings, man. Yeah. And he and so much soul. And I was like, I got I had to get it just right, you know, yeah. to double it. So were there ever rules back then? Uh, I say rules. I, I'm, I just mean like you know how like in the studio you have your own language and your own kind right. of like set of rules. Were there any rules about fiddle and steel like who took what and or did you was that open? Y'all just talked about interesting it. Was that that kind you, of a, interesting that you say that when I first started doing session work which was very spotty you know what I mean it wasn't like it wasn't like I did that session for Norrell Wilson and all of a sudden I started showing up on sessions every week and every day so it spotty meaning for you very it was slow slow, yeah, slow it was off. a slow growing process you know as far as people knowing who I who yeah. you know knowing me and me knowing what to do but I remembered when I first started I was like I was like it felt like there were two things two or three things that a fiddle was permitted to do and expected Saw the chorus if it was an up to tempo, up tempo okay, song. Okay, right. Saw meaning like dun da da dun da da dun da dun. Just back and forth. Like, yeah, like kind of like Cajun. You yeah. Know. Okay. Okay. Um, the other thing would be chomp chomp chomp. You know those intro. pick up intro yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Or or if, and then we call that nick nick new. Nick right? nick near. Nick nick, 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 nick near. Nick, yeah. And <laughs> and so 
And the, maybe the third thing was play the second verse. Play the second I see, verse. the second verse, yeah, doing a little fill it, fill, fill around, fill around the singer. Yeah. Especially in between the vocals, when the vocal would sing a line and right. there would be a little space there. Right. You could kind of... Mm. Exactly. And so, so you, know, you know, I was thinking, and I mean, I wasn't one of those guys that was over the top about my instrument, but I was thinking, there's got to be some way to work this into the music more so that the fiddle player is not just standing around with it fiddle under his arm forever and right. you know and and so so then um there were sessions that you know i started doing more live dates more live sessions and stuff and i thought you know i i'm i can fill i can fill the second half of the chorus yeah you know maybe i could you know talk to sonny garish you know and steel guitar player and because sonny was always cool about going hey rob, rob where do you want to fill and yeah go how about the second half of the chorus you know, and, and so there were, and then, and, and I remember, uh, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I remember being shocked by the whole click thing. Yeah. Okay. Because when I first started doing sessions, click we, weren't, track. we weren't using clicks, yeah. you know, and, and so also shocked that, in what way? Like, well, uh, I just, I was like, what is this? What, what are we doing? This wh- is kind what, of, what is a drummer? Is, no good. This I mean, is what's different, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Why, why would, uh, why would Larry London need a click? You know what right. I mean? You know, but I, I knew better than that, you know, but. But uh, so then I started to go, well, what if I do rhythm in a chorus when I'm not feeling like oh, yeah, right. and do that and kind of kind of give almost the snare uh, a, a chordal tonality yeah, okay, about yeah. it, you know, like anyway. So I, and, uh, so I started working on that to try to try to have something to do to make the instrument worth its the money they're paying yeah and more <laughs> versatile and more yeah just yeah so i did stuff. i did and and, and 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 there were people that actually used it you know some some guys i would work for they would go hey man we want to we want to get you to do a rhythm track a whole rhythm track of nothing but rhythm then we'll come back and we'll do fills and so like uh this there's a song called uh, this is much later in my career but there's a song called beer run by garth brooks yeah, and I that. Uh, george yeah. jones and that pretty much has a has me yeah. Uh, doing rhythm all is that with through. a tone with a tune with a tone like a note or is that just yeah sound? it was chordal a chordal like okay, I, yeah. I would uh, I, it was like two two strings at a time two oh, notes see, at a yeah. time and i would you know i'd change with the chords and <laughs> and just yeah. you know and, and so i'd crank the click up so that i could you know get a feel for that between that and the drums and yeah and so i started and you know some people some people didn't use a lot of it some people didn't use any of it but it was there if they needed yeah. it if they wanted i heard it. a great story about laurie london that he, this was like in the 70s or something, you know, he had a little, some kind of little uh, metronome with a headphone, you know, back, you just had one headphone kind of right, thing, like right. from AM radio. He had one in his ear, and then, you know, they had headphones and stuff, but he would put that in there, and then he, someone would ask him, hey, what, what's that? And he would say, I'm just listening to the ball game, you know, like I'm trying to keep the score, I'm just with the score. Oh, wow. He wouldn't admit that it was a metronome, and he would play, you know, and Sometimes somebody would some at one point somebody said, "Hey, does the speed up a little bit?" And the, you know they questioned his time a little bit. And he goes, "Well, check it against the check it against the metronome." And they did, and they're like, "Wow, no, you're right. wow, you're spot on." Right. And, and then it wasn't until much later that they sort of figured out that he oh he's listening to he admitted. Well, I didn't I, know I, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know you know one of my one of my uh, one of my favorite drummers that I got to work with many numerous numerous times used to, um, when we were started using clicks, uh, he would lean into the chorus. Yeah, right. 
I could feel it. I, he was he was like one of the only guys that I noticed when we hit purposely the chorus, do it yeah. purposely and it, and it you could tell because I, I had the click turned up because yeah. I always would listen to the click and uh, and uh, he would lean on it yeah like I, I don't even know if saying it's on top of the beat is right right it yeah just, that's it yeah on top of the beat leaned on it yeah. a little bit and and then we get back to the verse and he'd suck it It'd right back, back in again, and yeah. be right, right in the pocket with that but but then when you'd go into the control room you weren't hearing the click it was awesome yeah right the energy level in the choruses was just amazing but if you heard it against the click you would say well something's flaming yeah, there it's something's just a little right. tiny bit on yeah. t- on top you yeah, know right. but it was awesome man it was just, that was just great artistry on his part i think it's know? little things like that that make people like yourself who they are you know that, that those little tricks that you learn in the studio that makes that drummer really amazing on the track than this other person you know exactly little tricks yeah you definitely there are definitely little nuances that you know that you never discuss with anybody but you just try to find a way to ease something in to make it to make it speak make 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 the lyrics stand to serve the song right and a lot of people i've talked to serve the song absolutely session guys that's what they do their life is serve the song to serve the song and the artist too because you got to make the artist look good too, and That's make right. the producer look good, and all that. So nine times out of ten, if you really are paying attention to everything that you know, when you're at, when you feel like you're at the top of your game, if you pay attention to what's going on around you, you take the sum of what you're hearing. It's amazing how some things will come fall fall out of your fingertips. Yeah, you just start playing things and go, you know, I, and and I've had numerous things that have come up in my career that I've played where I, I thought later. I never played that before. Where'd that come from? And it was totally inspired wow. by the players around me and and the energy level of the vocal and what the yeah. vocal was, what the lyric was. And so it's yeah. just a really kind of paying attention to everything. But taking a sum of what you're hearing yeah. was always good information for me. What I find interesting about a lot of session players that I've talked to on my podcast is how they say knowing what not to play. Yes. Is is bigger than what you play in a right. way, you know. Low and when not to just when to lay out and let the singer take it, or you know what I mean. You know, it's exactly. Like, it's exactly a, a negative space. And, and, know and when there to are put definitely definitely times that I, I, I yeah. records that I played on where I'd go, I could have probably laid out more right there. <laughs> I could have laid back a little bit, but but yeah, that I think that's what we we all you know aspired to is to make sure that if we spoke. It, yeah. musically it meant something yeah you know what i mean and and uh um i was uh i was doing uh the song um my maria for brooks yeah. and dunn and uh and ronnie and, and i used to you know clown around and rib each other a lot and have fun and and uh the only thing that i play i think in my maria if i'm not mistaken i think i feel the second verse in that song right. And, you know, it's a very groove-based song. Yeah. It's about that acoustic guitar, and it's just got a cool feel to it, you know. So my notes were few and far between, very, very sparse. And I remember we were listening back to the, the playback, and and uh, I was standing near Ronnie, and Ronnie looked back at me, and he said, "How much?" he heard my verse that I filled, and he said, how much are we paying you to do this? <laughs> Because, I mean, he just thought he, he was it's so minimalistic. He, it's so minimalistic. But I was like, I just looked at him and I said, hey, pal, it ain't about the fiddle. It's about your vocal and that lyric and the groove. I so said, you complimented him in, in yeah, a way. Yeah, it's not it's about like... me. It's not about me. It's, your name's on the bus, not me. Right. That's true. Your name's so. on the bus. 
Um, uh, one thing I will say about back in the 90s is, and I know Don Cook, I actually heard him say this one time, that you, if you put Lonnie Wilson, Rob Hayjakus, and Brent Mason on a record, you got a record. I mean, oh, you have a record. Wow, you know? that's nice. Just those, just with those three people. He's like, I don't care what, I don't care who else you get. If you have those three guys, you know. Then, Don said that. Yeah, yeah. I need to call Don and send Don money too. <laughs> Thanks, Don. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You know, that's Lonnie really Wilson, nice. great, great drummer, man. And you, there's not a, hardly a song you don't hear in the '90s that doesn't have Lonnie Wilson playing on it. You know? yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brooks and Dunn. He played some of our stuff. I mean, it was just amazing. Uh, just the body of work that was all those records that came out you know that had like Lonnie you could tell it's Lonnie yes. playing on there he just had yeah. a certain and on Lonnie. the Don records too yeah, it, was really, Don it, it was really awesome that yeah. uh, Mike Bradley really turned the drums up and really and made... used those room mics a lot you know yes. he, he knew how to mix yes. the room mics a lot of room mic with the actual mic, the close mic of the drums and to get that snap but also had that big room sound yeah, yeah. it was great man yeah. yeah I agree it was awesome the secret to this that's the secret sauce is like Lonnie Wilson Brent Mason and you, and then well, so you had a record, you know. It's so just like, nice, man. I, I've never heard that. True. That's so yeah. kind, you know. It's but. like when you hear those records back then, it had all three of you guys on there. They were hits. They were always hits. Well, I tell you what, we, we really, I, I, I think I can speak for everybody. We all loved playing with each other. Yeah. It was a very, I, I've said this in other, other ta- interviews I've had, it was a very unselfish time, you know, like, if if I had if I went back to my booth, let's say on a Don session, if I went back to my booth after we listened to the, the work tape or the demo, to have my guns loaded, you know, maybe maybe have a a hook that I could put on the front of the record or whatever the song, um, you know, if I can remember, there were times where you know somebody like Brent or John Jarvis or Bruce Bowden or somebody would go, hey, it sounds like Rob's. Rob's got something going on. What do you got, Rob? And, you know, we were all working so much that nobody had felt like they had to race the other person right. to the intro. I see, yeah. I mean, we, we, there, was, we, there was plenty of work for all of us, yeah. and we were all having a, getting to use our No voices. competition. It was just like, let's make this song sound Let's great. make this song the best we can yeah. make it, you know? And, uh, and so, so, yeah, they, 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 there were more, there's more than one time where that, that, I feel like that happened, where somebody said, Sounds like Rob's got something. Let's see what he's got, you know. Yeah. And so I'd come up with a, with a hook for the intro, you know, and and then we we yeah. embellish from there, you know. I remember when we were doing the first record, the first Lone Star record. You were we were doing uh, Paradise Knife and Gun Club, and you had so much input about the intro and that the whole feel of the song, you know, the whole because that whole the bit the what do you remember that song? How the beginning is do 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 bump to bump bump. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I, I, you stumped me for a second yeah. because I didn't remember. And I'm you, so the, sorry. you're the one that kind of came up with that whole thing. What, what if we? And that's the first time I experienced your your input, your brilliance, and your input of like, hey, what if we did this? You know, because at that time I didn't have a lot of experience of sessions and stuff like that. And and I always thought the producer kind of called the shots and said, here's the way it's going right. to go. But to and one thing Don Cook always said, he goes, the input of the guys, you know, in right. the room are, are so important to a record. Right. And then I would see people like yourself saying, you know, hey, what if we did this? Dun, 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 dun. And 
everybody sort of taking their cues? Yeah, it, it, it that that's nice that you say that. You know, uh, but you know, like and like going back to what I said a moment ago, it was so easy to 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 feel comfortable with those guys because we had worked together so much and we all loved and respect each other. You yeah. know, it was so easy to to feel comfortable to speak up because I certainly wasn't a new guy. You know, I was part of the yeah. team. You know, and and uh, uh, Bruce Bowden talks about. Uh, 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 Old enough to know better by Wade Hayes. Yeah. That was another. That was one of those where, where I kind of got to run with coming up with the hook and suggesting yeah. that it starts with me and Lonnie, you know, and yeah. then then bass comes in and you know it, it's just you know it it, it it was just a it was we were all in a zone. Yeah, everybody was in a zone and the stuff that people would come up with we were so quick to jump on it and yeah. go, yeah, man, that sounds great. Let's do that. You know? Yeah. And it just, uh, it, it was really just a great time. To, yeah. To, it was, to record. it was what I like to say a time in country music. When you, when you heard an artist, you knew who it was immediately. You just go, Oh, that's absolutely so-and-so, you know, whereas I don't really think you can say the same thing today. Well, I can't, I can't listen to country radio today and say, Oh, that's so-and-so, or that sounds like that all kind of sounds almost the same to me a little bit. I'm terrible like that as well. You know, I, um, you know, I remember, I remember back when, uh, when Kenny, uh, Chesney was, we were doing demos for him at Opryland music. And, uh, and I remembered, uh, we were between takes somebody was doing an overdub or something on one of his songwriting demos and uh he and i met in the hallway and chatted a little bit and i said hey man i said are you trying to get a record deal or anything and he said nah he was so humble like he still is he's such a great guy you know he's like he's like no not really man i'm just doing the songwriter thing you know I'm, i said man you got a really distinctive voice i mean you know you yeah. really don't sound like anyone else it's cool you know and Boom. And then he turned around right that day and went out and got a record deal. Right? He said, I'm going to get said. a record deal. <laughs> no, I so, don't, did I don't he ever give that, any kickback for that? I don't, no, no, no. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm quite sure Kenny knew exactly how good he was, but yeah. he was such a humble gentleman, you know. Yeah. That, that, uh, but, Who, by the way, does Carl Childers like to a T, you know, from Sling Blade? Oh, oh. You know, some of them French fried potatoes. I hadn't you, been around him in a long time. Oh, I didn't know God, that. If you ever see him again, get him to do That's Carl awesome. Childers. He just like absolutely nails it. That's awesome. <laughs> Awesome. But, but you know, it's it's really cool that he went on to uh, yeah. to do what he's doing. You know, because he there again, like you said, you know when it's a Kenny Chesney record. Yeah, right. The first three words out of his mouth, you know, it's Kenny Chesney, yeah. which is awesome. Like you Toby know? Keith, you know who Toby that Keith. is. I mean, you know, yeah. Books I love and done. That. There's no doubt about who it is. But nowadays, when you listen to country, it's so kind of like formulaic to me. You know, it just kind of has the gravel road and the. You know, it's just kind of got that right. uh, all the same lyrics kind of just jumbled up, and then and I think the vocals even I don't know what it is about it, but it's just very similar to me. All the songs sound the same. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it has kind of gotten a little bit like that, I guess. Uh, um, I'm I'm ashamed to say that I don't listen much, yeah. you know, but when I do hear things or watch an award show or something, I'll go. Have they done that song already tonight? Yeah, right. You know, Did I just hear that? And that doesn't mean it's it, <laughs> yeah. it's not it's all bad. I mean, there's some really good stuff too. Yeah. But but um, it makes me wonder what the audience is listening for in that stuff. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, it all kind of sounds the same to me. But the fans like it. They know who they're, yeah, they're listening they to. Yeah, they respond greatly. They, is to it the words? Is it right. like? Do they? Is it more visual? Do they see the guy? Right. You know, or whatever. You know. Um, um, it was funny when when things really got rolling in the early 90s and and everybody we recorded with 
had a successful career. You know, we yeah. were coming home and there'd be UPS would have dropped twice a month, seemingly would have dropped off a gold or platinum record to the house or something, you know, right. from something we've worked on, all of us had worked on. And uh, just put it with the rest, honey. And I remember people <laughs> in the business, some pay, some people in the business were starting to complain and go, oh, so and so is just another hat act. It's just the same old thing. And, and it, but it may have seemed that way then. But if you go back now and you listen to all those records, everybody sounds different. Yeah. Clint right. Black, Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, everybody had their their place yeah. cut out for them for themselves. And I think the record labels, the A and R departments, that they're kind of largely responsible for that because that's what they yeah. do. They, yeah. they listen for people that oh we already have one of those or or maybe this guy he fits this sort of thing that we need. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, it, it really is so cool how the music and the artists from that period of time have aged like fine wine, really, yeah, because right. you go back and you listen to it and go, well, everybody did sound different. Yeah. Everybody looked different. I mean, might, they might have might have been wearing a cowboy hat, but they still had their own vibe. Everybody yeah. had their own Even thing. Even the things they sang about were kind of like their thing, their territory, pretty exactly. much. Exactly. I mean, you know. Exactly. There were some great songs from, from, from the 90s and all. Yeah. It was really, really great, great artistry on the songwriters' parts, man. Yeah. One of the songs I listen to when I run is uh, Honky Tonk Truth. Uh-huh. And that's you on there, uh-huh. obviously, you know. Right. I love that song. There's just something about that. That um, I don't know what it is, man, but it's got that, uh, what I like to call the whack tone. And, and, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about. You invented a sound on the fiddle that I, I don't think was ever heard before uh, called the whack tone. And that is, how do you describe the whack tone? Well, where the terminology whack tone came from, I was surprised to hear you say that because where that terminology came from was um, in 1996, uh, I toured with Neil Diamond a bit and uh, Hadley Hawkinsmith, great, great guitar player, uh, said, so, so pal, tell me this, tell me how you came up with the whack tone. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, that vibrato thing. And I was like, I said, first of all, there were some guys uh, there was a guy, a couple of guys from back home, brothers, the Justice Brothers. Uh, from, now, where's back home? Uh, well, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, the okay. Richmond, Virginia area. But this, they were in Fairfax, Virginia. And they toured with people like Johnny Paycheck and Mel Tillis and people like that. Great musicians. I, uh, Paul Justice in particular, I had heard a little bit of vibrato from him, a little bit of exaggerated vibrato when he, when he would play a swing tune or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there was, there was a, a, a guy named, named Jimmy Unger. Uh, that came from that area, I think, that it moved to Nashville, and he did a little bit of that. On the guitar, though? On right? fiddle. This oh, is on all, fiddle. This okay, is, on this fiddle. Is, this is all fiddle. But it wasn't, it wasn't like you used a lot, but it was every now and then I'd, I'd hear it. And Vassar Clements, the great Vassar Clements, would use a little, he'd, he'd like go, ba -da -da, you know, he'd do it like mm -hmm. a little, little, yeah. little, at the end of a phrase or something, a little sassy, swingy kind of thing. And I thought, man... Now, what genre would that have been in? Was that blues or was that in country? Um, they, they, were, they were doing it like in swing music. Oh, okay, stuff. right. In swing, you know, jazzy, kind of swingy stuff, you know. But, but it wasn't like super exaggerated, you yeah. know. And so I don't really know what year it clicked with me, to be honest with you. Probably somewhere in the, uh, heading toward the late 80s. Yeah, okay. I just really started working on that, and I was like, yeah. I, I want that to, I want to do that. You yeah, know, I want to. And it was you were sort of almost emulating an electric guitar or something. Yeah, Is that what, right? I think what really pushed me over into it 
I was impressed hearing little snippets of it from other players, but what pushed me over was I, I always say that I'm a, I was a frustrated guitar player in a fiddle player's body. I, I just love the guitar, but I never had the energy or the, the, the bravery to try to learn to play it, you know? Yeah. And so I loved when I would hear people use their whammy bar you know, it was, I just thought it was cool. I, now, Jeff, for those that don't know, whammy bar on a guitar is a metal bar that sticks out and it's spring-loaded, and you can actually move the note up and down by moving the, the bar up and down. like. Mm -hmm. right. And I'm a huge, huge Jeff Beck fan. Oh, right. I okay. mean, Jeff Beck is like, I, I, I'm not starstruck by many people, but if I ever got to meet Jeff Beck, I'd lose my mind because <laughs> I just love Jeff Beck. And so, you know, anyway, that stuff just started kind of, seeping into my soul I was like man I want to learn how to do that and I don't know exactly when it started sometimes I hear an old record or something you know that I did in the 80s and I can tell it, it was clearly before I did that ah uh, right you yeah. know and I was like boy that could have used a little whack tone right there you know <laughs> right. could have used a little something but I didn't know how to do it at that point and you didn't you know? even start calling it whack tone until or produce like I, I heard Don Cook one time mention say you do that whack tone and until you said like in 96 you started working with Neil Diamond yeah, we, when we that did, guy mentioned it. We did a, um, we did a, uh, I, I didn't think I had heard it until then. We, um, we worked on some, um, I worked on some of uh, Neil Diamond's Tennessee Moon album when he came here. And some of that was done with Don Cook. And, uh, and so uh, then I got asked to do, uh, to be one of the fiddlers to play on the TV show, the, the national TV show, uh, CBS, NBC, whatever it was, uh, for the, for the, at, from the Ryman. And, uh, and uh, so then that's, that's when I got asked to tour with him. And then when I met Hadley, you know, said, one of his guitar players, he goes, tell me about how you came up with this whack tone, you know? And I was like, well, <laughs> part of it has to, is your fault because I, I love guitar players, you know? And I love to hear a guitar player use a whammy bar and, and yeah. uh, play. And I mean, the Brooks and Dunn stuff has got whack tone through and through. I mean, it's just like, the, I know Don Cook is a big fan of your whack tone. So, yeah, I, the Brooks and Dunn stuff really lent itself well for that. And, you yeah. know, like Boot Scoot and Boogie, you know, I, yeah. I, I might've, I might've, uh, that might have been off the Richter scale on that one. That yeah. might have been a little too much sometimes, but but it was fun. Yeah, and on like on Honky Tonk Truth, you start your solo out on the solo part. You start it out with the whack tone, and then you right. follow it from there. Right, like, right. Mm -hmm, yeah, dude. right, right. Then you do the melody, the little right. solo thing. A, a, a guitar player friend of mine, um, I don't know how serious he was. He, he kind of said it maybe during uh, some sort of a heated discussion, like not heated in, in like arguing, but maybe I had said something that ticked him off, and he said, I know why you do that. You do that because you can't play in tune. <laughs> I said, maybe that's what it is. It could They're be that. They're on to me. <laughs> it, could be, it could be that. It could be that. I think it, you do it because of the reaction you get from, like, producer and the artist and stuff like that. Like, yeah, man. Oh, God, that's great. Well, that's you know, so for me, for energetic. me, for me, you know, it, it, it just created uh, an attitude. It, it just, it just, I thought, I thought. You know, if guitar players can rock in country music, then yeah. why can't we scream and do our yeah. thing? You know, because I loved, I, I mean, like when I was on the road with Mel Tillis in 1982, um, I was introduced by, you know, my dear friend Paul Franklin. Uh, I was introduced to people like, uh, people's music like Larry Carlton and Lee Rittenauer and yeah. these great guitar players. And and 
and while I never learned their, their music, I, 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 f- I felt like I, I learned something from their energy yeah. and their phrasing. And I would try to carry that into my playing. And, yeah. and I remember um, probably sometime in the early 90s when, when uh, there would be several records that I'd be on during maybe in the top 20 or whatever. And, and I remember going in to do one of my sessions for Garth, uh, Garth Brooks. And, and Garth went, hey, pal. I'm kind of hearing some of my stuff on other people's records, like. <laughs> but he had a big grin. He never, he never, oh, yeah, right. he didn't. He, he, he was, he was being funny. He yeah. wasn't being a jerk or anything. But now he, on uh, Friends in Low Places, you sang on that, right? Is that right? Did I see a well, singer credit, that, vocal yeah. credit? Oh yeah, yeah. And you got to tell there, me about that. There's a credit. Uh, if, when he does another anthology, he's promised me I'm going to get another credit that I still am sad that I didn't get. Oh, yeah? I played a beer can on that song. You played a beer can? I played a beer can. So we got a call from the office. <laughs> we got a call from Gar's people that said, hey, uh, we're going to do uh, vocal overdubs, party-type atmosphere for Friends in Low Places, and they want everybody to come down, and they can. So I, I, thought, I, I thought it was going to be the band i thought yeah. it was going to be the studio band and you know you know garth and, and and that would be it and we'd overdub it numerous times well i thought so i thought i'm gonna i'm gonna bring a six pack of corona and have a beer i hope <laughs> they don't think badly of me but we'll drink a beer and uh garth didn't drink and uh and this was a six pack of cans right this was a six pack of bottled oh, coronas bottles okay. yeah bottled coronas and uh, i got there and it was like a cast of thousands there were people from the record company. There were people from the publishing company. There were people from from uh, um, uh, Bob Doyle's office. I mean, it was like wow. it was like, and so we all crammed in that little studio, which is now Allentown, which was Jack's tracks at the time, and uh, and so we're we're lined up. We're all lined up like uh, almost kind of wide horseshoe rows of us so around the microphone. Around microphones, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and so I'm standing between takes and uh they're passing somebody's passing like a 12 pack of Budweiser or something down through the crowd and 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 it comes to me and uh and I grab a beer out and pass a can or a bottle out can oh a can okay right pass it to Garth and Garth passes it to the next person and he said uh he said uh we start singing again and he leaned over and whispered to me he said you should open that in the mic and I went okay so I just I went up I I walked (laughs) through these two rows or whatever of people and got to this mic that was, I, I forgot the brand of the mic, uh, but it's, I think it's like a multi-thousand dollar mic. Like a Telefunken or something it, like it, that? It, One I, of those. I don't remember if it was the, the vocal mic that, that he used, they used on him, or if it was an old Neumann. I think oh, I see, it, yeah. I kind of think right. it might've been an old Neumann. Okay. And so, at, and the last time he says, well, I got friends in low places oh yeah and uh and i thought yeah man i'm gonna get credit for playing beer the beer can on this <laughs> and the, the cd came out and i didn't so so just just this past year i was having lunch with garth and his uh the people that that run his property and work uh-huh. his property out uh in in Goatsville. and uh that came up yeah and i said Pal, I said, I got to tell you, that is the only thing that's disappointing to me about anything I've done with you. I'm so happy to be a part of your team. And, and, but I wanted to be, he said, you're going to get credit for that beer can. I wanted credit for the beer, the I wanted, beer can. Yeah, yeah, I wanted credit for that, you know. And, Rob uh, A.J. gets beer can. Yeah. And you can put that on your, 
your, my uh, resume. your list of accolades, your yeah, resume, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> beer can, vocals. And, you, and the, so you were part of this big group to go, I got friends. And yeah. Like to yeah. Sing. So we did, you know, once, once, you know, toward the end of the song, when it kicks in, well, I got to... friends in low places where the whiskey drowns. And so you were singing with everybody. Everybody singing. <laughs> everybody just singing and having the time of their lives. And there's a point in there, you've probably heard it, where he says, push Marie. Push Marie. Push Marie. Uh, oh, it's uh, someone in his. Uh, was it the bass player? Someone in his band, studio, uh, road band. Their wife was in labor at the time. Oh. And he says, "Push Marie." Push Marie. Yeah, he says, "Push Marie," really loud. <laughs> Who said that? Yeah, Garth. Did. Garth did. Yeah, oh my God. he's just awesome. He doesn't miss anything like that, man. He just yeah. is so on top of you know. He just wants to make everybody feel a part, you know. And, yeah, and I think I read somewhere that he would, um, at some point when the crew was setting up or before he would do anything, he would sit out in the empty auditorium and mm-hmm. look at the stage and and think, what do, what do I want to see as a fan? Like if I'm imagining myself as a fan and I'm looking at that stage, what, what do I want to see? up there what's going to really turn me on that's awesome and that sort of informed what he wanted to do and i had never heard that but i i I believe that with all my heart i mean he just uh he he i've never met anyone like him yeah he's 100 percent into what he's doing and what he's you know what he's planning his career and you know what absolutely what do i need to be doing and that whole concert in new york city just blows my mind that i was looking up years ago i was looking up a list of the most uh sold records in history, and it was like ACDC, Back in Black, and but I think the first one was Garth Brooks and <laughs> Garth Brooks in New York City. Isn't that something, man? Was the biggest record like ever sold, kind of thing, you know? Like, yeah, he <sighs> he's just broke. He shattered so many records, man. It's just a, uh, it's incredible. And he's just, I mean, I know I say this all the time when people ask about him, but he's 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 just the kindest, most generous person, and. And and I'll say I've said this a thousand times too. He always makes you want to be a better person. Right, when you're yeah. around him, there's something about him. I mean, he can tell a little off-color joke. I'm not saying he's purebred, you know. Yeah, he's a country boy. He's he's a good he's true just, true country boy. True blue great great from sense Oklahoma. of humor. Just like Trisha's yeah. got a great sense of humor. They they're perfect for each other. But he just uh, he's just uh, so so kind, and he just it just makes you want to be a better. Like yeah. I I mean I think often about things, you know, like. When I when I get a little miffed in life about something, it, this is going to sound corny and it would probably embarrass Garth that I, that I said this, but I sometimes actually go, "How would Garth handle this? What would Garth do? How would Garth handle this?" WWGD. That's right. <laughs> it's the only time it's good to use GD. Right? All right, GD. <laughs> but uh, but yeah yeah right. it's uh, you know and and uh, I don't know it just he he just seems to look at things uh, always from the the correct side of things. Yeah. You know. Anyway, he can put things in perspective. He's a bigger picture kind of guy. I, I always exactly. admire people like that who can step back and look at the bigger picture all the time yeah. when they need to or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and in, uh, never be overwhelmed. I did a, uh, I did a, uh, a, a interview with uh, Nick Hoffman for Apple Radio, and uh, Nick called me uh, later that night or the next morning. He said, "Hey, man, do you think, uh, you think Garth would?" let me talk to him about about your contribution in the 90s and stuff and and i said well I, all he can say is no and he said well he's never done anything for apple and i said well that's a good point and i said well, i'll still ask him so i called i called garth and and uh 
And I said, man, you haven't done anything for Apple, have you? He says, not yet, with a big grin in his voice. And I said, man, I just did this interview, and, and the guy wondered. He said, I, I didn't even finish the sentence. He said, give him my phone number. And I said, are you That's serious? Cool. He said, wow. and he was a big part of the, the interview. So but you think I could ever have him on my podcast? You think I, I, I all he can say I, is no. Right? All he can say is no. <laughs> and and you, don't have, you, don't have, you, know, you don't have a big conglomerate for him to have to answer to. Right, that's true. Yeah, it's just me. <laughs> me and my little recorder here. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, did you ever get into writing? Did you compose? Did you write with other people? Were you ever a writer? You know, you know I, 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 I never saw myself as a writer. I mean, you know, I write melodies. Mm-hmm. I have melodies. that uh, I, I only have one piece of music that I ever recorded of my own. I, I recorded something on a Buddy Emmons album or something. But yeah. this one piece that I did, um, but I used to have, I, I had this way evidently of saying things like, like just coming up with a one liner mm-hmm. and I would be around, you know, writers in the studio during demos and so they go, man, we should write that or that's a, I'm going to write that down, you know? Right. And so I started trying to be a little more careful about some of that, you know, but it, over my career, especially in the nineties, I would have like every now and then a really great songwriter go, Hey man we should get together and write sometime. And I was always so intimidated because I wasn't a lyricist. And I know you don't have to be, you Mm -hmm. can be the other part, you know, you can be the music, but I was so intimidated by how great songwriters were. And how quick quick they could do it. Yeah. I mean that like, you know, somebody like Troy Seals, you know, that wrote 57 Chevy and countless numbers of songs. He, he asked me one time, he said, why don't we get together and write? And I said, sure. And I never, never, I, I tell you, I did have, I had one legit writing session. The gentlemen will both go, remain unnamed, very successful songwriters, very, very nice guys. So they said, let's get together and write. So we booked at 10 o'clock uh, at their, their, uh, their publishing company. We had the room to ourselves. So the night before, I was like, man, I better have my guns loaded. I better, I better have something. Some ideas or something. So I wrote uh, a chordal body, a complete body of a song. Uh, you know, a, a verse, an intro verse, chorus. No lyrics, just the just mu- just, just the music, instrument. just just chords, and I and I had a melody to go to 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 kind of work with as a guide. Right. Like to, I'd played on. So I wrote the numbers out, and when I got there, they said. Uh, Rob, you want to you want to start with something? You got an idea about anything? I said, well, I actually do. You know, I I I hope that it's something to work on. So I I laid this chord chart out because I don't play I don't play guitar as I said yeah. earlier. So one of the guys grabbed a guitar, and it scared him to death because n- neither one of them read read chords, chord oh, yeah. charts, number <laughs> charts. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll tell you what the chords are, and just and so. They learned the chords. They may have each had a guitar, and they learned the chords and stuff. And then I, I said, uh, now, now let me play this melody over it. You play the chords, and so we did that. And the one guy went, just stopped. And he went, man, we're in Tim McGraw territory with this. And my heart was pounding. I was like, wow, man, maybe this this is going to turn out to something. Maybe maybe I can start working to become uh, – Yeah. Anyway – we were stumped nobody none of us could we couldn't come up with subject matter we were all stumped and the one guy said let me take this with me let me because he had recorded what we did 
So let me take it and, and work on it for a couple of weeks, see what I can come up with. I never heard from him again. <laughs> I was like, oh, so my So clearly God. that is not the process. That, <laughs> that yes, I didn't. I, I, so I, I never tried that again. So I just went, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. So I just, should just try to play the fiddle. You know, my that. whole thing about songwriting was back in the late 80s when I was in Canyon, the group Canyon. Right. We, we were getting opportunities to write with people all the time. Even though we didn't live in Nashville, we were mm-hmm. here enough to people were like, that's right. And I would see the way it, it worked. You would sit in a room for hours and hours with a guitar and trying to come out with that. And I just did not want to do that. Right. I couldn't see myself. I would be so bored with that being locked in all day with, I don't play guitar that well. So right. what am I going to do? You know? And it just kind of wasn't my thing. I wished I had forced myself to do it more, you know, learn how to play. I sure wish that write. I had, had seen, I knew the importance later on yeah. of being a, uh, how lucrative it could be, how lucrative it, can, it changes your life, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, uh, and, and, and it's very fulfilling if you start to yeah. master it and figure out how to do it. You know, it's, I mean, it's hard, man. Yeah. I, I really, I really tip my hat to great songwriters because, because for one thing, there, there's no smoke and mirrors, especially yeah. in the '90s, '80s, '90s. There's no smoke and mirrors to hide behind right. as far as lyric goes. I mean, country music is a is a very narrow scope of information yeah. that you can deal with. Like, whereas David Bowie, yeah. And Elton John, Anything, yeah. they could sing. I mean, Elton John, will tell you straight up, he doesn't even know what the words mean to a lot of the songs <laughs> right. that, you know, that, that Taupin wrote, you know. Yeah. And so, but with country music, man, country music, I always said, was kind of like Mexican food. You want it on something hard. You want it on something soft. You want beans with it. You know, it's, it's kind of, the, yeah. we're going to keep rotating it around. And I don't know how songwriters have come up with so many great ideas and so much great stuff as they had, you yeah. know, it's, it's cause it's, cause there again, you can only get away with so much, uh, yeah. uh, like content. in tequila talking saying, uh, seeing you there in that dress you were wearing. I mean, yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did you just think of that? Yeah, Why? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. There and wearing, seeing you there in that dress you were wearing. Who, who would have ever dreamed, you know, that that would work. But yeah. It was awesome, you know, and, yeah, I, I tip my hat to those those men and women. And I was shocked to see that, that when I first started seeing writing sessions and, you know, participating, how empty everything was when they would just mumble words. And I always thought right. that they, they'd come up with the words and they would just, like, see if they fit. But in actuality, they'll sit there and they'll they'll play the guitar and they'll go, mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. And subject matter will come later. Yeah, and, in, and they'll fill that in later. What was once mumbles will be words. It's brilliant. It's just, <laughs> it's just brilliant, man. I, I don't know. I just, I just don't. You know, every time that I... Every time I, if the, the handful of times that I thought, I'm going to grab a pen and paper and I'm going to see if I can write a song. Yeah. You know, just sitting at home by myself and I'd go, no, wait a minute, that's no, been wait. written, that's been written, uh, wait a minute. I'm just remembering something I yeah, heard. I'm just remembering things. <laughs> and so I think that was, I think the thing that I fell into, I think the trap that I fell into was, musicians we have so many melodies and things in our head that have moved us because we're like sponges we're just picking up this here and there and we're borrowing from this and taking from that yeah that every literally i mean i, I was it sounded i'm comical but but i really anytime i really tried to write something i went 
I can't think of anything except for that one Beatles song or that Joe Cocker song yeah. or whatever. I can't. Yeah. And so I would go, yeah, I'm not a songwriter. I'll just copy too much. You but know. I've got I've got a lot of little melodies and stuff that I I I wish that I wish that I could you know I wish I could still put those down. I wish yeah. I could record those. So know. how old were you when you first started? I'm gonna go way back here. We're gonna set the way back machine. When you first like picked up a fiddle and start, was it like when you were a little kid? I think when I was four years old, my dad uh, and mom got me a fiddle, and a, a guy built a, a homemade case for it for me. And I didn't noodle around on it. And, of course, I was four or five, whatever I was. Then the time that I got really serious about it uh, and thought, I want to pick this up. It wasn't within my dad's presence. I don't remember being in his presence. But I picked it up, and my sister, my father had come home one day with a Rubber Soul album of the Beatles. Yeah, okay. And I started trying to play to Ray Price Records, and to, to the Beatles records, to, to uh, the Rubber Soul album. And, um, but I would just try, and, I, and I'd get so frustrated because when I re- really started taking uh, uh, lessons, if you will, like from when I, when I was in high school, seventh grade, from my teacher, my, my uh, high school uh, orchestra teacher, um, I, um, I, I told my dad, I said, I said, Dad, D- Dad wasn't a bluegrass player. He right. was a country player. And, and I said, Dad, I said, you know, I don't want to know. I don't care about playing fiddle tunes. That doesn't interest me. I said, I want to know how to play behind a singer the way Tommy Jackson played fiddle behind Ray Price. And how old were you when you said that? Uh, that, that was probably, that was when I was in the seventh grade. What, wow. what are you, 13, 12? Yeah. 12, something that, like that. That's pretty profound for uh, someone of that age to, to figure that out. To it say really that, moved to me. To want to do that. It really moved me to, when I, I mean, I, and, and even before that, I remember hearing Willie Nelson and seeing clean cut Willie Nelson and looking yeah. at my dad and going, how come that guy's not a big star? He's really cool, man. I like his voice, you know, but, but the whole thing about playing, when I told my dad that, I said, Dad, I really don't care about fiddle tunes. I really want to learn to play in it behind a singer like yeah. Tommy Jackson does with Ray Price. He said, son, I can't teach you that. He said, that has to come from your heart. Yeah, and that was a big, kind of the beginning, really. Yeah, I mean, in a yeah way. it really it opened something up for me and made me go, I want to figure out how to do that. Yeah. I want to figure out how to ad-lib around a vocal, you know. And Did you ever figure it out? <laughs> man... Man, they're still working on they're, it. They're, yeah, still working on it. And you know what? They're they're going to turn me down anyway. When I when I bowl over the over right. the, you know, they'll fix it. They'll fix it. So I just bowl over that singer. Yeah, I keep asking our steel player Brad. He goes, "Did you ever learn how to play that steel?" I he love goes, that. No, but it ain't stopped me yet. <laughs> I ain't I ain't been stopped for lack of talent. I love that. I, I love that. I wish I had been quick enough to have come back with that too. That's awesome. I always say he's a great steel player and plays dobro really good, mandolin and all that stuff. Great, great bluegrass oh, oh, guy. Brad, Brad Corbin. Brad Corbin. Yeah. Brad Corbin is one of my favorite people on the planet. No way. Brad Corbin and I, um, <laughs> I joined. He talks about you all the time. The second half of 2010, I joined uh, uh, Gretchen Wilson's band. Right. And got to play with Brad Corbin. And uh, and then they they didn't need me the first half of the next year. In the second uh, half of 2011, they brought me back, and I played with them and Big and Rich. 
Yeah. And had the time of And my Brad life. was still with them. Brad is, yeah. I, I just talked to Brad like three weeks ago. He called me up just to say hello. I love Brad Corbin, <laughs> yeah. man. He's awesome. He's, He's a great, great, great musician and, uh, and just a great guy to be around. Yeah, and his stories of growing up, he's got a story for everything. He's awesome, A saying man. for everything. And, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't he a uh, um, former military? Yeah, he is. He, he was in the country. Navy. He was in the Navy band playing steel. He played steel through the Gulf War. Right. And he said that they would ask uh, his commanding officer or somebody, well, what do we do when in when the you know war's breaking out? They go play louder. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome! Oh my gosh, I got to remember yeah. that. That's He's killer. so country, and so I, I love every day. He's like my best buddy out on the road. You know, he and I sit in the back of the bus and just tell stories. How all the time. could you not like Brad Corbin? I know, man. Have him tell. I won't tell it, but have him if he hasn't. Tell him the story about his mean uncle. His mean uncle. Yeah, he'll tell you the story about his mean uncle and the, and the parakeet. And the parakeet. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. heard the cat one, but not the parakeet. Okay. Yeah. Have him tell you the parakeet story. The parakeet. Okay. Well, Pretty interesting. Uh, let's see. I wanted to ask you also um, any advice you may have for young people starting out, you know, that may play a little bit of fiddle and run. Run. Don't do it. Right? <laughs> run. <laughs> Just real, pick up a guitar. Right? Real Just... job. <laughs> no, no, that's not true at all. I would tell you to run toward it. Toward as it. Right. Fast yeah. as, and hard as you can. Listen to everything you can that came before you yeah. and what and what's happening now. Um, um, and don't be afraid of it, as if like, oh, there's no fiddle in country anymore, you know, because that could come back. Yeah, there, there's something that I wrote down one time that I told, and I didn't, this sounds crazy that I actually, I don't even know if I can find it in a timely manner without eating up some of your time, but I told this young fiddle player that was, you know, kind of calling to get some advice and stuff. But I said uh, something to the effect of, um, um, respect all, but, but, uh, but follow no one. Oh, right. Okay. And I don't yeah. know exactly how I said it, but it was yeah. basically, I was basically just saying, li- appreciate what you're hearing, learn from people, learn from their yeah. energy, but don't, don't just to, copy don't, them. Don't just, yeah. don't try to be them. Yeah. There's already one of them, right. you know what I mean? And, he, he, you know, it's just try to be you, man, because yeah. that's what that's what everybody's waiting to hear. So here's what's amazing to me about fiddle. This is a total outsider's, uh, from a drummer, whatever, outsider's uh, view of that instrument is that so much can happen in that. You know how big the neck of a fiddle is? If you've ever seen the neck of a fiddle, it's so thin and so short. It's just like the size of a of a candy bar, basically. It's very small. But all that can happen within that thing, within that little tiny space, is yeah. amazing to me. It just blows my mind, all that I, can be done. I, You know, it, I think it's still, if I think of it in those terms, it, it amazes me, too. Because I mean, you it, think of a drum kit or a guitar or a piano. It's right. all sort of spread out. But on a fiddle, on a violin, it's just this tiny little area that yeah. you've got all Well, this. unless you get into Itzhak Perlman or somebody like that, then those guys, they, you, men and women that play like that use the whole fingerboard. You yeah, know what I mean? right. But that's not, where the, that's not where the money is, and the money's not there in, in country music. Yeah, the money. The money. The money's in those first three positions. Right, you know yeah. what I mean? Is that a pie or something? <laughs> yeah, three, three or yeah. four positions, you know, like from, from, from the beginning up into about right here. Yeah. Where, where the end of the candy bar is. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's weird. I was thinking about, we were talking about the whack tone earlier, and I remember the, the most whack tone that I heard on our stuff was um, You Walked In. 
Oh yeah, that solo and you uh-huh, walked in. Uh-huh. It's just like it sounds like Eddie Van Halen playing. Uh, well, it's funny the, you should mention him. I'm surprised I didn't mention him earlier because because there was a period of time where I wanted to come back as his tennis shoes. I wanted to be with Eddie Van Halen all the time. I wanted to be around Eddie. Eddie, even though I never played a single single melody that he played yeah I, I never could have copped what he did you sort of wanted to be known as that i, wa- I wanted to be eddie van yeah. halen so if i wanted to come back in another life i wanted to be eddie van halen wow. because i just admired him so much did you used to practice a lot i mean to get oh, before a, you a got to be a session guy where you what was yes. your practice routine like probably playing too many of the same things over and over again <laughs> right. but 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 um it wasn't until years and years later that I, I thought to myself, you know, my practicing uh, habits could have been so much more productive. I could have been a better practicer than I was. But uh, I would play the same things over and over again. I, and, and then and later, later in my life, I had a lot of melodies that I had written, like whole pieces of, of that would be complete pieces of music. Maybe some of them missing a bridge or something, but, and that would be my practice. Wow. I'd practice, but but in the early days, I can remember sitting in front of the stereo with a with a vinyl, you know, and and playing uh, playing to something, maybe maybe trying to play something that one of my heroes played in, in a in a uh, top forty country song, and uh, and then also trying to learn how to write chord charts. Wow. How to write a did you ever do any sessions where you overdubbed and you sounded like kind of like a little orchestra? Did were you ever into that? Yeah, I did. I did. Or I did asked a lot. to do it. I did. I did a lot of sessions. Um, I did a lot of sessions where I would stack a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, even though I have some violin technique from uh-huh. from 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 when I started playing in orchestra, I'm still not as legit a player, a sounding player as as a lot of guys are as far as like doing a, a mock string section. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. You know. I could do it. I know Jonathan Yudkin does a lot of that He's stuff. A- He's absolutely doing that. brilliant at that. He is so good at that, man. I love Because he plays cello, too. He I think he'll cello, do like a cello, cello track viola. and a viola. Yeah, and and, and, He's and, done that some stuff for yes, us. Yes, yes. He's yeah. so good at that. He's so excellent at that. Have you ever and, played cello? No, never even never tried. Have. Never even tried. That's that's amazing. I thought never I could tried. totally pegged you as like, oh, yeah, I played cello for th- seven years or something. No, <laughs> no. For, for, for years, I never played viola. For years, I played a five. For the first, um, for the first uh, many years that I was here, I played a five-string fiddle that that had a C-string on it, like a, a viola. Five-string fiddle. Yeah, I've John, never heard of such a thing. Oh yeah, Johnny Gimble. Johnny Gimble was really Johnny. I don't know if he originated that or not, but Johnny Gimble was the man with the five-string fiddle. Like some of his solos. Some like some of his solos. Where was the fifth? Was it like a banjo? Was no, it a no, pipe? It was, like or was, a, it? it was down low. Oh, okay. So it it oh. encompassed the same range as a viola and a violin. So it had a lower string that you could access if you. Yeah, you viola know. has uh, C G D A, uh-huh. and violin has G D A E. Ah, oh, okay. So it's just I a hope, whole section higher. I hope higher. I said yeah, that right. right. <laughs> I hope yeah. I said that right. So but it's yeah. a whole register higher, like on the piano, like a whole set of notes higher. So well, it was a whole set yeah. of notes lower. Oh, it was, lower. It was yeah. a fifth lower. It was a fifth string, uh, a fifth tone lower. That the viola could, was. Yeah, the C string was the C string was on this side, on the low side. Yeah. And it was just a big, and so that came in handy, like when I would do those little mock uh string sections and stuff to be able to play the viola part 
but there again, I, I never professed by any stretch to, to have a real true violinist touch on yeah. that. I, I, the, the times that I've heard uh, Jonathan do that are brilliant. He, yeah. he does that so well. He does that so well. So on the Who's uh, Bob O'Reilly, that's a viola, right? That thing at the end? That uh, I it sounds always, like a violin. I always thought it was a, a, a regular a, a violin, but you you might be right. I don't I don't know if I know the history. Did you ever I, play it? Did you ever try? I never tried to play. Oh that. really? But it's it, but it's uh, it's an awesome. Whoever did it is awesome. Yeah. You know, it did and it just comes out of nowhere. You know, you're hearing this. But you know, you may be right. That may be viola, and I I never thought of it. I just thought of it. I'm just jamming along in my yeah. car, listening to it. You know, here comes that violin thing. Here comes that viola. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Golly. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, but um, anyway, I quit using it. I quit using the five string. Things got a little more organic, you know. And 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 I I thought just I just need the four string. And so I have a question here for you. Okay. What would your dream band be like if someone said, Rob, we're gonna do this record, and we don't know who's singing on it yet or whatever, but we want you to put together like you you know it's like no limit to what you could do. Who would your dream what would your dream band like session uh be how would you cast it with players from here yeah from nashville oh it would be um shannon forrest drummer yeah drummer shannon Shannon forrest now why is that um i just always connected i mean i connected with other guys too i mean i adore lonnie chad cromwell so many people so many people eddie bears paul lime and all that oh yeah Uh, paul lime does this little hi-hat thing that i used to beg him to do anytime we ever did a cajun oriented thing yeah i wish i could describe it to you i'm not talented enough to to, to, but it Uh would be a little Oh, yeah. He's so good with his subtle yeah. hi-hat little yeah, opening. And I, would, I remember Dan Huff asked me one time if I could do that. If I could, He goes, you know how Paul does this little – he doesn't open the hi-hat, but it sort of kind of yeah, barely yeah, opens, he, he but it doesn't really open. It. Yeah, yeah. 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 And he, I was like, he, he, he un- unstrangles it for a second. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. Yeah, that, well, that, that was the way this thing worked. And I always – and every time we would ever do, like, uh, where I had to do a, a, a mock – you know, Cajun type feel from the yeah. fiddle, and then, you know, I go, man, you got to do that thing for me. I love that. Please do that thing. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, um, so, so yeah. So Shannon Forrest. Shannon Forrest. Um, this might take a second. Oh, uh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, I, I I'd have to have Brent. I think you know Brent yeah. Mason. I'd Bro, have of course. To have yeah. Brent. Um, um, Brent Mason. For those that don't know. He, you know how we talk about the whack tone, and I think I think of Brent Mason as kind of like the chicken picking guy, you know. Like, of course, right. he could play anything at all, but he seems to be more like well known. If you want chicken picking stuff, like real fast, he's, he he's was the nuts. guy. You know? And you, you know, he's a classically trained guitar player. Yeah, he he, right. he plays gut string. He plays classical guitar like a nutcase. He lives up where I live, up in Gallatin. Yeah, I see him every once in a while. Yeah, out. He, he's uh, awesome. He, he, and then uh, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble if, if other musicians here. No, this and think that i'm like being because i love so many people for so many different reasons but uh have to bring paul franklin into the mix because me and brent and paul played a lot together in the old days we'd show up at jam sessions together and and stuff and and jam at paul's house and so if bruce bowden's listening to this he's gonna go what what the hell you know yeah (laughs) no i and 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 brent and bruce bowden knows that i adore his plan i'll call bruce up every now and then just to go bruce 
I went on YouTube and I listened, revisited a record that we played on together, and I was listening to your steel guitar, and once again, quit worrying about your tone. Stop. It's beautiful. It's perfect. <laughs> is that I, what he does? Does he oh, worry he about worries. his tone? He, he, I need to change something. Are you sure need, that's okay? I, I need to change know. a different, I need a, a different guitar. I should use a, that other, and I'm like, no, leave it alone. It's great, man. You're awesome. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, he, he, he uh, spent time in my neck of the woods. Uh, he tells the story. He, he interviewed me for uh, Acme Radio. Yeah, I had him on an interview I was doing. It wasn't for my podcast, but it was another thing. I was a little video interview I was doing, and I, ta- I went to his house and talked to him for yeah. a long time, how he used to be a drummer and all that. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I actually started out with drums. In, you did? Yeah, during the monkey's days. Oh, okay, right. I wanted to be a monkey, hey, man. I wanted to be a monkey, you know. Oh, man. Anyway, so, uh, but no, Bruce, Bruce is awesome, and... Uh, uh, but he talks about how I came into a club they were playing one time, and he said, he said I looked at him and said, I'm going to Nashville, I'm moving to Nashville. And he was like, what? And, and anyway, so anyway, yeah. we, we, have, we, have, uh, we have credibility together back home in Virginia. You know? Oh, wow, yeah. And, uh, tell me about that, yeah. Yeah, that was a good time. Anyway, so Brent, uh, Paul, uh, uh, Shannon, um, I, I love Glenn Wharf. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. on bass. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just all the, his playing first and foremost, and maybe not even first and foremost. Him as a guy, he's a great guy. Yeah, he just uh, knows what to play, doesn't he? That he just knows yes. how to fill that just right space, you know. John Jarvis on keys. Yeah. Um, trying to think of who on acoustic. Uh, there's so many fun people, so many cool Biff. people. I, I love Biff. Yeah. I love Biff. Uh, that would be a good one. He's got such a nice touch, you know. Yeah. His he could just touch those strings and they just sing, you know. It's just amazing yeah. how effortless he makes it look when he plays acoustic guitar. Excellent point, Biff Watson. Uh, somebody that I have history with from working with Gail Davies on the road when I was trying to make the transition from the road to the studio full time mm-hmm. uh, uh, was uh, B. James Lowry uh-huh. uh, on acoustic. I really love I love his uh, little nuances and little things that he. So can you with. imagine the music that would come out of that? Of well, I, I'm pretty sure there there, there was there was music that came out. Oh, of, of that. course, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I think I yeah. think that all I know at one time all the guys I mentioned we we worked together at the on same time on several records. Yeah, yeah, yeah stuff. Yeah. You know, but but yeah, right. and if we went outside of this town. I'd probably get myself in trouble because I, I, oh, yeah, I'd, right. I'd, I'd want I'd want to dig up people that I'd be scared to play in front of. Whereas I know these guys, I don't oh, have right, to be scared yeah. to play in front of right, them. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that's think, a cool thing about have... the Nashville session scene. Yeah, is that you guys that do all these sessions for years and years, especially through the '90s. That was like the, the lucrative golden era, time. Man. Yeah, Paul Lyon was talking about how lucrative of a time it used to be. Yes, in the '80s and '90s, where every day you'd play on records and you just got paid and. Yeah. Nowadays, he goes, eh, it's kind of, you can kind of cut that in like a, a fourth of that maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally different thing. I, 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 I thank God all the time. I really do for, for, for having that period of time. I mean, I always say that the groundwork that I laid, the foundation that I laid for myself in the 80s, it, I mean, you couldn't make the story up. You couldn't make it the planets line up better than they lined up for me. That's true, yeah. And I, that's no, there's no bragging in that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm as in awe of it as anybody else. You were at the right place at the right time with the right instrument, right? Wouldn't you I, say? Everything hit. Yeah. Everything hit. And uh, I just, you know, um, 
and and I and I wasn't going to take no for an answer. Once I realized I had, you know, a, a little space to call yeah. my own, I I went to work. Yeah. I really tried hard to come up with something. Continue to develop the whack tone. Yeah. Work with a little rhythm stuff. Come up with with hooks for songs and yeah. stuff. You know, and which I hooks always just enamored me. You know, yeah. before. I always thought of you as someone who had a, mu- a really musical mind because, like, of the input and the things that you would say when we were working up the songs in the studio and your well, ideas so and things. Thank yeah, you, you were just you. like, "Hey, what if we?" You know, you weren't afraid to where most people would kind of pipe down and just do the gig and play. And you had ideas and you would bring it up. What if we it went this direction? You know, which I always loved that. Well, you know, it's so I'm so, it's so kind of you to say that. You know, I was always proud throughout my career especially in the 90s it was often that that producers and writers would go man hey I, I really like I like you I'm glad you're here because I really like your input yeah right and it was really nice because I think I think the generation of people before me before us uh, I think they sometimes were scared to speak up yeah I think so yeah. I think they were they were gentlemen mm-hmm uh, I, I, I distinctly remember one of my heroes that I did a lot of work with uh, when I started breaking in. I would say something about, uh, what about this? We, we need to hear some more uh, steel in the phone. We need more of that. Hey, no, don't say anything. Don't. And I'd be like, <laughs> don't say anything. I can't hear me. No, I can't hear you. No, no, don't, don't say anything. Let's just do this and, and get I would out of go, here. <laughs> I would go, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I admired him for being a gentleman, mm-hmm. but but I, I I couldn't live like that. Yeah. And if I'd lived like that, if I hadn't spoken up, I think a lot there would have probably been a lot less fiddle on. Oh, that's true. Some yeah. records, because we all we all were writing the song together. Yeah. We all were creating, and so to just sit with your hands in your lap because you don't want to rock a boat. Yeah. That's not the way to make music. You know, I know when I would when I would do sessions, I was new to the whole thing. When I got with Lone Star, I'd never done a session, very few sessions that I'd ever done. And when I got in there, I was in the hot seat. You know, the drummer. You know, you got to sure. play everything all the way. You could overdub, but really, you know, Dan Huff would mention it as like, you know, you're in the hot seat today because you know it's like you're the drummer. You can't just say, hey, can I fix the third chorus? Can I? You could, but they didn't like you to do that People because do of it symbols, now. symbols ringing and stuff like that. You couldn't cut, you know, right. overdub as I mean, you couldn't punch as easy. Right. And then when someone like not you, but when someone like a, a guitar player, a steel player would say, hey, Keach, on that third chorus, you're doing that kick pattern there. And I would always kind of clam up and go, oh, no, what, what, is he gonna, what are they going to have me do? What, why didn't they like what I did? I was so self-conscious because I was so new at it. You know, yeah. I, I, but I learned over the years to kind of take it with a grain of salt and go, well, they're just trying to make the song better. And if whatever I do could be better, then I'm all for it, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what, and what a great way to look at it. I mean, I think that's, I think that's that's the key to a successful session, a success, successful yeah. record, record. And something that I've said before too that I always thought, it always it would frustrate me. You know, when I was breaking into the studio, I for I, I never thought for one second that the guy I was working for was learning his craft too. Right. That's true. 
Yeah. You know, some of those people that I was working for, they didn't know a lot more probably than I knew. They were going, hey, I, you know, they heard they heard, they heard, heard some uh, guitar play along with a melody on a Beatles record. So they said, let's do that, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's good enough for them. So. Yeah, yeah, we can do this. <laughs> and uh, but, um, but it's just, you know... Uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, you're just yielding to people all the time because they're the ones pulling the purse strings. And you realize years later, I went, you know, he may not have known any more than I knew, but, right. but he's pulling the purse strings and calling me. So That's I right. got to listen to what he says, you know. And, and he has that title. He is he has the that, producer. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, sir. Right. He's the guy. He's the man. So, but uh, anyway, there was, I, there was some place else I was going with that. And now I've forgotten. I lost my train of thought. Well, I always like in the studio the sense of humor everybody has. I've always, I just feed off of that. That's so fun. Even if I'm just in the control room watching everybody, the little jokes and things like that. You it's said, yeah, what time you said, we were doing this thing, we, Lone Star, we were hired to write and record a song for Coca-Cola. And they, we had this meeting over the phone with the Coca-Cola people. Okay, we really like your song, uh, The Keys to My Heart, and we like this other song. Uh, what, forget what it was. Um, we, we think it should be that tempo and that vibe. And they just kind of threw a bunch of, you know, it's fun, it's refreshing. It's that moment of the day when, you know, it was like these advertising people were yeah, throwing yeah, us yeah. ideas. So you go write the song and then record it and send it back. And we were like, well, when does this all have to be done? And they go, oh, by Monday. <laughs> Wow. Oh, no pressure there. We got to yeah, write none. the song, record it, everything, and mix it and master it and everything by Monday, basically. Right, and so right. you were part of that. You came in and uh, that little studio somewhere, I can't remember where it was, and you had said this joke about <laughs> you were kind of making up this little scenario. You go, oh, hey, uh, listen, uh, um, Lone Star, they finished this, good news and bad news. They finished the song and everything, but they all drank Coca-Cola and got high on Coke and they got in a fight and broke up the band. <laughs> I did, did I say that? You said that, yeah. Oh, and we funny. were just laughing. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, you know. There, there's this uh, this uh, guy that I worked for a lot uh, that owned a studio in town, and for a while he had a studio up in his uh, condo. So, and I was working back in those days. I was working day and night, seemingly, and and grateful, but tired a lot of times. And one hot summer day, I had to carry my stuff up two or three flights of steps to get up in his loft, which was hot. When oh, you got up there, course, yeah. you know, and uh, and I knew him really well because I had done a lot of work for him and stuff in the studio, demos and custom things and that sort of thing. And so I felt real comfortable about things I could say to him. And so he um, this one day he decided he really wanted to be a producer, man, and he was just wearing me out if i went up he said go down right there if i went down he said go up you, you got know? a little too comfortable with the, oh yeah with man the and so control. finally finally i i stopped that was, it was back in the tape days yeah and i stopped and i just went you know back yeah. and forth just to stop the tape you know and he stopped and he said what's wrong and i said man he said i said you know you know what i'm trying to figure out pal and he said what's that I said, I'm trying to figure out how I got through those George Jones sessions last week without you there to help me. <laughs> and he went dead silence. And he said, man, just do what you think you need to do. Do it. <laughs> so, so he let me play after that. He just said, I felt, I felt so bad about it. He but, must know what he's doing. I mean, so but I he laughed. <laughs> he, 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 he laughed and so did I. And we, 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 were, we remained best friends and, and I still did more work for him. But I was, and I tried to yield to him and try to work with him on his stuff. But, but he took it like a man. I just said, I just don't yeah. know how I got through those George Your kind way sessions. of saying, like, just let me do what I do. <laughs> just, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get out of here yeah. quicker and you're going to like it better if you let me do what I know how to do. You yeah, know? Right, yeah. 
That's but, why you hired me. That's right. That's right. I heard uh, we were doing a session recently with um, it was Jimmy Nichols was the producer and Vinny Caliuta was playing on it. Oh my god! And I was one of my favorites. I know, man. And he, he had flown to Na- Nashville and he did this thing it was for, for the military. This thing for the military. And uh, I remember Vinny Caliuta's back there and he's just going, "Well, what do you want me to?" Do and he was talking through the headphones to Jimmy Nichols, who was in another room. He couldn't even see him. And then, of course, Jimmy Nichols, and he's like, "Hey, you're Vinny Caliuta. You, you just be Vinny." Yeah, and that not, was his answer to the whole. We're thing. not directing you. It's like you, you know, that's why you're here. You're Vinny Caliuta, so just be Vinny Caliuta. Yeah, play yeah. What Vinny would play. I have a. There's a funny, uh, another funny time in the studio. Um, I won't use the colorful language that went along with it, but. Um, we were doing Fair and Young, who I adored Fair and Young, man. I just loved him. I, I never was locked in 40 feet of bus with him. That might have gotten a little scary, but <laughs> but uh, but uh, you're familiar with a lot of Farron's early years. And not, stuff. not real, not a lot. He, he, he was that. He was a Ray Price kind of singer. Okay, right. You know that that whole thing, and and you know, big Grand Ole Opry star and, uh, and big big star back in the day. So we were working on some stuff at Oak Valley Studio one time, and working on one of his records, and. And uh, it was a live session date, and uh, and something was out of tune in the track, and somebody had pointed to me and me, which is reasonable. Yeah. You know, it, it's instrument, fretless instrument, you know. it's fiddle. It could, it could happen <laughs> quickly, you know. So, but I but I, I was pretty sure it wasn't me, you know. So I tried to fix it. Everybody went in the control room except for me and the keyboard player. The keyboard player was sitting near me, and. Uh, I tried to fix it, and the more I tried to fix it, the worse it got. Because I, I was fixing something that wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't getting better. It was getting okay, worse. I see. Yeah. So I finally all but threw the fiddle down in the case. I just said, I just, I said, let me come in here and hear it. You know, I threw the phones off, and and the keyboard player looked at me and said, it's not you. He whispered, it's not. It's you. not you. So I went in, and we're all in the control room. All of us are in the control room. We're me and Farron are standing arm to arm behind the board, behind the console, behind the engineer. And I said, solo me. And I, I was pissed. I was like, solo me. So they soloed me with the uh, synthesizer. Okay. And now I am out of tune. Uh-huh. I'm like in another zip code because I'm trying to fix it's not me. I've, I've, I've tried playing yeah. sharp, tried playing flat. I can't get anything. And so <laughs> they stopped the tape and Farron went, well, hell, son, when was the last time you changed the strings on that cat? And I said, the last time you had a hit record. And he said, well, hell, that was 1945, son. <laughs> Man, he was that's just quick. So, he was quick. <laughs> I mean, I adored him. I used to get him to cuss for me. He, he's, he's the best cusser I'd ever been around. I said, oh, cuss for God. me a little bit, Sarah. And he would just, just... You know, what? one thing Brad always said when you talk about uh, the subject of well i well, the reason i call my podcast designated drummer is because sometimes on the bus you know the guys will have a little shot before the show they'll have a little celebratory heck yeah you know, hey well, let's have a good show let's have a toast and i i can't because i'm the one that's got to count the songs off and i gotta it's kind of like a, I can't vary the tempos the and stuff and i'm like i can't i'm the designated drummer and that's why i came up with that whole you know that's like perfect. designated driver i'm the designated drummer so and brad's always excuse he goes hey because he won't do it either he goes like hey uh, alcohol and a fret instrument don't go well together <laughs> i can attest to that yeah. i can attest to that absolutely but uh but yeah man back to what you were originally saying the humor in the studio was aw- is, yeah. is, is awesome i mean that's as much as a part of it is you know how it is if you're going to be on 40 45 feet of bus yeah 
it's not always that you've got the guy that you don't need the guy that can play like uh, John Patitucci or whatever. Yeah. You, you need know, a good hang. A good you need somebody. a good. You need a yeah. good because you're hanging more than you're playing. Right. You know what I mean? You. Uh, I think yeah. I said the good. A lot of artists would I think uh, uh, accept somebody that's not as great of a player, but is a better hang. You know, because you're living with these people. You could, like you said, you could have the best player in the world, but there's kind of a dick. You know. If they're not fun to be around, yeah. it's it's a drag, not man. Very fun. But you know, don't yeah. be that guy. Yeah, don't ever be that guy. Yeah, I think a lot of people that come to town realize that quickly that yeah. that getting along is a is the biggest percentage of it yeah. getting along with people letting people know you can roll with it you know and yeah and laugh at yourself yeah you know which I and, never was good at you know no <laughs> it's just, I just tell my students you know be on time be early because it, like as Paul Lyme says if you're not early you're late that's right if you're not 10 minutes early you're you're you're, you're late I have never been able to be a late guy. It, yeah, just, it, it worries me sick. Yeah. You know, uh, it that sick pity your stomach feeling like it, if you are running yes, late. Yes, I feel horrible. I feel horrible. Like when I left the house to come here today, um, it said it was like a 34 minute, maybe less. I can't remember what I mean. My GPS told me, you know, if I, and I was like, okay, I want to be, I want to be sure I'm there at least by 10 till 12 or five to 12 at the latest. And, uh, and then I hit a, Hit, hit the stoplight at Korean Veterans, and it was like, oh, yeah. oh man, this For is backed ever. up. I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm not late because <laughs> I left in plenty of time, you know. But I hate to be late. I just yeah, I too. do everything I can in my power. I don't care what it is. Yeah. If I tell my motorcycle buddies that I'm going to meet them at Mapco at you know at nine o'clock in the morning, I'm there usually a quarter. I never want to be the one they're waiting on. You know. Never, never, <laughs> never want to be that guy. Never want to yeah. be that guy. And and when I was in Canyon in the late '80s. I was the kind of a late guy, you know, for a while. And then I sat down and had lunch with Steve Cooper, our lead singer, one day. And he just, in, in a kind way, in sort of a fatherly kind of way, he just kind of sat down and said, and, and it wasn't in a question or anything. It was just like him just out in the open just saying, you know what you, you know what your problem is? And I was kind of like, uh, what? But, it, like, it just, like, offered that to me, you know, and it changed my life. That's he awesome. said, you just don't take your gig as seriously as you need to you know because you're just kind of like willy-nilly sometimes you're on time sometimes you're not on time right. sometimes you count the wrong song off sometimes your head you're just not there he goes you're oh. not a pro and he goes you're in this game you're in this you have a lot of skin in the game you know you're a you're in this you're, band the, condu you're the conductor yeah you're you're in a position you're in the hot seat and he goes you just you're just not taking it serious enough and he goes the day that you do he goes you'll be an awesome player awesome drummer and then i almost was in tears because i was just like i didn't i didn't think there was a problem i didn't i thought i was great i thought I, what i was doing was great i got the gig and i've been in the band for a couple of years now and everything but then there was just some kind of friction whenever i would show up like a couple minutes late to a call time or something like that i just wasn't taking it that seriously and the rule we had in canyon was you know especially if we're playing we were from dallas if we were playing in the local area you get there 30 minutes early because you can't just walk in at the last minute. You still have to tune. You still get that nervous feeling. And we, we're very stickler about going on time. Like everything's on time. And when we played Hee Haw, we were on, we were actually, yes, we were actually on Hee Haw. The guy came down, we played our song, and the guy came down from the booth, the guy that for 20 years had been up there in the booth. You never see him, you know, because it's a taping thing. He came down and shook our hand and congratulated us as Canyon as being the first band that he ever in the 20 years that he'd been doing Hee Haw, that was on time, early, you know, on time, played the song on time, played it one time all the way through, well rehearsed, perfectly, and all that, and we're done. I mean, he 
That's never awesome. had experienced that before, and he came down and congratulated us. That's awesome. And that was just, you know, I, 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 I used to get really frustrated um, with certain players in town that were great guys, yeah, great players and great guys, but would show up at five till ten, three minutes till ten for a ten o'clock session, yeah, and and it'd be a session where they had a lot of setting setting up to do because it might be a custom session. Yeah. Might be a session that it's not a big record day where everything is, you know, tweaked and already set up when you yeah. walk in. And I, I I would just think to myself cuz in, inevitably what that would do it would throw us off mm-hmm. and that would put us 15 or 20 minutes after one o'clock. Yeah. So then you got to cram to get the song done. You got to get get things done. And and we might not have a two o'clock there. So I might have a two o'clock someplace else. And so that's going to throw my, my lunch schedule off trying to get something to eat, you know? And I I used to get so frustrated with that when, when that would happen. And and it it always, I don't know. It just seemed to be certain people that just seemed to be like they were unaware, unaware that that seemed to be the way they operated. And, and like I said, they were always great people that were fun to be around and great players. You know what I mean? But I was like, I, I don't, I, I could never do that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have much to set up so I could show up. I, it wasn't unusual for me to be one of the last musicians to yeah. show up at a session because I could, I could pull the fiddle out of the case yeah. and go, no, 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 no. Okay. okay I'm right. in How's that sound? Oh, great. You're good. When's the last time you tuned that thing? Yeah, well, when you had a hit record. Last time you had a hit record. That's 1945, son. Uh, okay, I guess I better better get new strings. <laughs> cool, man. Well, man, it was so great to talk to you. I really appreciate you coming here. Well, I hope I didn't talk you to death. No. Man, I, I live alone. Yeah. So you <laughs> like a lot to a lot. say. You're just dying for somebody to talk to. Well, I call uh, my motorcycle buddies, like, after we've had a day riding together, you know, eat lunch and stuff, and I'll call at least one of them and go, I'm sorry if I talk too much at lunch. <laughs> I live by myself. I'm really lonely. <laughs> He's like, no, it's fine. No, no. Don't invite Rob again. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, great talking to you. And um, Teach, it's great to see you again, my yeah, friend. Yeah, man, it's, it's been, really... I haven't seen you in so many years, but I just thought recently, you know, Rob, hey, Jacus, I could you get him on my podcast. Even though you were late, you were always nice. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. I, I never knew you were late. I'm just teasing. I used to be. <laughs> but it's great, man. I pre- I'm really honored that you asked. To well, speak thank you with so me, much. We'll have you on again sometime. Maybe you and Lonnie Wilson together or something like you and man, somebody else like together. That would be awesome. That would be a gas. Wouldn't that be I'd fun? Like, I'd like that a lot. Let's get the yeah. whole, uh, well, not the whole A team, just, just a couple of guys, you know. It'd be, fun. It'd be a lot of fun. Share the good old day stories. It'd be a lot of fun. Well, thanks again, and we'll see you guys next time on Designated Drummer. See ya. Bye-bye.